Today we're going to learn about a godly man, a very devout man. And as I think of fathers in the Bible, I think of heroes of faith and those who have suffered much for the cause of Christ. And as I think of men who are full of integrity and men who are priests to their own families and men who not necessarily say just good things to their family or want to be a buddy to their children and hang out with them and do the things the world does. But I'm talking about a godly man who sets the law down in his house, who sets an example to their, his people and still loves him unconditionally, not afraid of what the media would say or what the world would say around him. I think of Job. And Job, his story goes rings all through the ages. Job's story rings as a man who suffered much. And why do the righteous suffer, we ask. But Job goes much deeper than that, folks. Job is a man of God. Job is the story of a man, of a father who loved his children unconditionally and who sacrificed even for them as a priest to his own family and was concerned for their welfare above all things. Their welfare first and then his. Their relationship to God and then his. See, folks, in that concentric circle, Job put everybody else first. and Put the Lord in the center, God, in the center of everything that he evolved around, everything that sustained him, he knew come from God. And then he placed himself last. This is a trait that comes from Jesus Christ, whom Job, who Job only had a vision, a spark of what would come in the future. See, but he knew God's heart. And he knew that a man should be a priest to his own family. And a man should instruct his family in these things. Let's look at the book of Job, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God, and he shewed evil. If we go into the gospel message, it's where we get our word shew from today. But he shewed evil goes deeper from the Hebrew text and from the Latin text. It means to resist to cast out, to shun, to rebuke, to run off. And one one that I like, probably best of all, is to rebuke because it means not only do you rebuke evil from your house, when you see evil in another person, you rebuke the evil in that person. And you're to rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And you're to see things that are ungodly in his character, you're to rebuke his character. That's part of being a godly man. And I see this trait in Job. He even rebukes his friends when they come to him thinking he had done some terrible sin which he had not even committed. He rebukes them in the name of the Lord. He rebukes what is unrighteous with righteous. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses and a very great household, for his man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and satisfied them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually do. 
Joe was a great father, a man of prayer, and a godly man, a man who feared God. He was a man of integrity. And what I'm concerned about here is Joe was a righteous man, and he also was a man concerned with his family's welfare. And he was concerned with his family having a right relationship with God. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, and a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God, and he sheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Oh, doth Job fear God for, no, for nothing? For naught. Hast not thou made a hedge around him, and about his house, and about all that he has on every side? Hast thou blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land? He says, Hast thou made Job richer than all the men in the land? Hast thou made him more popular, the great speech, the great author, a great priest to his family, and give him more land than all you can see around, see? See, Job came from that kindred tribe of Abraham, see? And Abraham was blessed with much, much cattle, much, much land. And Job came in the time when your land and your cattle and oxen and all things you have were your riches, more richer than gold or silver. In other words, your land. And Job had attained much, much more cattle and land than anyone in the land in the east. And Satan knew this. And Satan said, Now take away this from him, because thou placed a hedge of prosperity around him. But he said, Put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. Now aren't you glad when Satan comes to God, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's patrolling the air, and he comes to us? Aren't you glad that God puts a limit on him? He can only do what God tells him to do, folks. Satan can do nothing in his power that God cannot overthrow, overrule. He has to get God's permission for everything he does. See, we have the stronghold on our side, the stronghold that casts down all vain imaginations, all evil, is through God our Father. And Satan can do nothing without God's authority. God is over Satan. Satan cannot be everywhere at the same time. He can only, he can only oppress us and send his demons. But God gives him permission. He cannot do anything without the Lord's permission. <clears throat> and the Lord, of course, gave him permission to put not forth thy hand upon him. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job, saying, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is falling from heaven and hath burned up your sheep, and the servants are consumed with them, and only I am alone to escape to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there was another came, and the Chaldeans made out the three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away. And yea, they slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, by this time I think Joe said, okay, what else? What's next, you know? 
While he's yet speaking, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men, and they were dead. And only I am escaped to tell you these things. Now look at the attitude of Job. Look at the, look at the heart of this man. Look at Job here when he receives all this information. And Job rose up and he tore his shirt. He just took his buttons and popped them all the way down. Just wrenched his garment. And it fell down to the ground and worshipped. Now, worship God. Fell down to the ground and worshipped. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. There's some things here I want you to understand that nothing happens outside of God's watch care. And folks say, why would God send evil to a household, a man that's so godly? Now, God does not send things to people. God lets things happen to certain people so others around them may see the work of God in them. And God, yes, why do the righteous suffer? And I'll tell you, there's one great big question here that's been down through all the ages. In seminary, we had mass volumes of studies over, and mass volumes of books written by, by doctors and lawyers and everyone else. Why do the righteous suffer? Big question, big answer. Here's the best answer I could give you that we have today to share in the sufferings of the most righteous person who ever lived. Jesus Christ our Lord, to share in his sufferings so we may share in his glory in heaven. Amen? For what he's done for us, the one who suffered the most, Christ Jesus our Lord, it's only right for us to share in his sufferings, to bear and share here on earth that we may share in his glory. Because he suffered the most, and he's the most righteous person who ever lived and suffered the most as a criminal that we may have joy in the midst of our sufferings. And this is the answer of all answers, because God is God. And he has to make no reason why he would send a whirlwind to collapse a house. Later on, he comes back and, t and teaches Job who created all the heavens and earth. And he asks Job these questions. Even Job's a righteous man, and he has not even seen And God still says to a sinless man, were you there when I set the foundations of the earth? Were you my counsel when I created all this? Do I, need an, do I need an explanation to why I did this? And Job says, no, Lord, you don't. You are creator of all. And Job said, why would I come to you in a whirlwind when a whirlwind just destroyed your house? To show you I'm in charge of the whirlwind. The nature cannot do anything unless I come in. And we've seen what nature can do just in the last couple of years in the hurricanes we've seen destroy houses destroy land, destroy everything in its path. But yet God set the boundaries. I think oftentimes we see the destruction in a person's life, destruction around us, and we say it's devastating. But yet how many times does God take a godly man, maybe dying of cancer, or a godly man who has a sudden heart attack or stroke, and set him in the midst of those that may visit him or may never ever set foot in the church, but go and visit him in the hospital. And as he ministers to them as they come in, 
and the ministers to them in his suffering and heart see there's a man suffering and on his deathbed and still has the joy of the Lord in his heart. Man, I got to get some of that. I don't have that. If I was laying there, I'd be screaming and kicking and crying. Why me, Lord? But this man is in his suffering in the midst of his anxiety and pain. He's been crippled, but he's been in a wheelchair for 20 years, and he is still praising God. And I can't praise God that much, and I am a perfectly well man on both my feet, strong in the back, strong in the shoulders, and I have trouble praising God when I get out of bed in the morning. Now, there's something in this righteous man who looks to God and has a concern for his whole household and still has concern for them in his time of need, and then when calamity comes upon him, instead of cursing God, he falls down at God's feet and worships him and says, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job had not sinned one time. Now there's people in his life that come to him because back in Job's day, they think that any kind of calamity you went through was because of a hidden sin in your life. You have not repented of your sin. And you need to go and confront the high priest and have him, have you repent and pray for you, intercede for you and repent of your sins. Job had done nothing wrong. Job had not had any and not sinned in his heart. And that's why God shows up in a big way to him. Boy, ain't it good to be vindicated? Everybody on earth wants to be vindicated. Everybody on earth wants to say, he was right and you were wrong all this time. Here's vindication. Here's a righteous man. But see, God, when he shows up, it seems like all that disappears, don't it? When God shows up. I'll never forget, y'all remember, this, remember the, the story of Forrest Gump? Y'all remember, remember the show, Forrest Gump? And he says it, I love this part where, oh, Lieutenant Dan, old Lieutenant Dan, he's out there cursing God, and he's up on that big old mass, and he's saying, oh, is that all you got? Come on, hit me with a lightning bolt. Is that all you got? You trying to destroy me? And Forrest said he's cursing God, and the sea's all calm one minute. You know, they're not, not, they're not making any, catching any fish or anything, and Lieutenant Dan gets all upset because of the past experiences he has in Vietnam, all the trauma they went through, you know, loses his legs, and He's up there and he said, you know what? He said, Lieutenant started to holler at God and he showed up. He showed up. And he did show up in a mighty way. And he said, when that storm was over, he said, Lieutenant Dan found his peace with God. See, he went through his struggle, his battle, his calling out, whatever he said. But show me, he's saying, show me yourself. Show me who you are. And he said, God showed up. See? And it's somewhere in the elements there, he found peace with God. And from then on, he never questioned him again. From there on, you see a godly man being trained and just his face, even and even, even it was a movie, but you see a difference in his face, the peace that he had after that, when he found his wife and shows up at the wedding service, and you see the peace that he has in his speech. There's no cuss words. There's no violence in his, in his speech. You see a man there who found peace with God. Job had found peace with God long, long time before he, he I'll put it this way, Job was a man who had to have godly parents because Job was a man who had been instructed in the peace of God, okay? All his life and had found God early in his life because Job was a man that knew to have this peace 
when calamity came. When the adversary came, he needed to hold this peace. And godly men today know how to hang on to this peace of God. This peace of God has to be shown to you in your life from someone around you. And Lieutenant Dan's life, he was showing through Forrest Gump, the peace of God, see? the love of God, the acceptance of things without being all upset over things, the love of God, love everyone. See, he was showing us through a man. In my life, I was shown through my father, my grandfather, and my father-in-law, my brother-in-law. These men of faith who were men of integrity. Integrity means to hold on to God's word in such a way that you don't let things waver you like the waves of the sea. Integrity means anchoring in God's word, anchoring in the faith of God. That gives us something, stability there. That when the times and the different things change around us, we're like a solid anchor. We're like Apostle Paul said, I've anchored my faith on the solid rock, Christ Jesus. And nothing will move me from that. Nothing will shake my faith. Nothing will shake when I go through anxiety I will call upon his name, and who is my fortress and my strong tire. And I have a steady force there. Whenever I go through anything in this life, when trials in this life come against me as I did with Job, he said, I found a refuge there. I found ever-present help in time of need, who I can call upon my mighty fortress, and I call upon him, and he settles my needs. Even if he slays me, takes me out, I will still trust in him because he has made all the foundations of the world and only my soul can be the eternity of my soul and the eternal realm of my soul can be set in his hands. And see, man, that takes us in God's word, in, in prayer, daily in prayer. It takes work to cultivate this type of courage. It takes work, work to cultivate this type of a, I mean, priesthood idea that our high priest, Jesus Christ, can buffer those things around us and can say, all right, be still, see. It's time to be still, and it's calm. And then sometimes he says, be still, child. The sea's still rushing in. The sea's still pounding on you, but you're in my divine grip. And let me tell you what, nothing will take you from my divine grip of love. I'm gonna, let this, I'm gonna let you go through this, but I'm gonna hold you in my care. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spread my wings over you, let, let the storm come in, and I'm gonna calm the child. And there's nothing you cannot withstand. There's nothing you can go through that I haven't been through already. And I will be along beside you and never forsake you. And I will strengthen you. And as men, as men to our families, as men and fathers to our children, this is probably the, the most valued attribute we can have. It's to have the peace of God in every situation. To have the joy of God in times of trials, in times of tribulation, knowing, like Apostle Paul once told us, that all the suffering in this world, folks, everything we go through, we lose everything in this world, being in Christ Jesus, takes it all away, folks. In other words, Apostle Paul tells us that anything we go through in this life, nothing compared to the glory we will receive when we step in heaven. And that's to be our 
anchored deep in Christ Jesus and the faith that he has, and anchored deep in his strength, and also seeing the finish line, seeing our home in glory, and that should keep us on the narrow road, no matter what's going on around us in the world, no matter what new thing someone has found, see, not to be wavered by those things. Jesus Christ himself said that, that he is the word of God, and he is the way, and all we need in him is in here, in the scriptures, all the scriptures. Need nothing else but Jesus Christ. Nothing else but his word of instruction. He even told many, many people that asked him the same question. Lord, you're not going to suffer. I'll die with you today. I'll, I'll take out the Roman army with the sword with you. We'll fight hand in hand. No, Peter, it's not going to be that way. See, when you see what happens to me, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to say, I don't even know this man. But there'll time, uh, come another time where I will strengthen you. I will come back to you. And you will be strengthened by me. And I'll ask you three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know my heart. Man, you're, you're, you're my buddy. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. But Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You're God of heaven and God of earth and all in between. You know I love you with agape love, as much love as I could give you, the love that you've given me. Feed my lambs. Be that man of integrity. Be that man who doesn't waver when the storms come. Be that man who don't let Satan sift him like wheat. Rebuke Satan, rebuke evil, shuns evil. If the mouthpiece for God be that man who stands up at Pentecost and preaches that wonderful sermon and over 3,000 men are saved. See? Be that man I've called you to be. Be that fisherman that casts out the nets and gathers in my fish. See? And don't be afraid to cut out those who don't belong, to rebuke them. Those who are evil and who want evil for other people, don't be afraid to cut them out. I've called you to be a fisherman all the way through. A fisherman. Job had this. Job had this strength that God had given him. And through the time of the trouble, and we know the end of the story, God blesses Job, doubly blessing him, his household back. I think Job even got his old, his old uh, crabby wife to repent, don't you? They told, come to Job, so won't you just curse God and die? And Job said, I will not do it. Because, you know why? Because he has blessed me already. I think God even give his wife a new heart, see? Because you know why I think he did that? Because to be godly men, to be great grandfathers, to be great fathers, we need a godly wives, see, behind us. Godly wives praying for us. Godly wives who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Godly wives that say, when I say, honey, wasn't that sermon the greatest sermon you ever heard? And she said, not as good as your next one. <laughs> she knows how to keep her husband in line and to be the cheerleader she needs to be, the exhorter and the rebuker, and all in God and Christian homes. Y'all bless God for my wife. I bless God for my father's wife, my mother, who I've never seen him actually in a fight, a verbal fight. I knew they fought, but I never seen them in an attitude of hatred or attitude of greed or 
strive for anything like this. I've never seen them not being reconciled to God. One of, one of, the, one of my fondest childhood memories, <clears throat> my grandmother had a, someone had given them a barber's chair. And her kitchen, my grandma's kitchen was the biggest room in the house because all my kin folks on grandma's side were Italian. Italians loved to eat. And they ate all day, okay? Whenever breakfast is through, she's cooking dinner. On the stove, it's always going, okay? When you walk in her house, you're gonna eat something or she's gonna feel insulted. And my great-grandfather, which could not speak any English, he sat in the chair at 12 o'clock noon every day after they had their little sandwich together. Him and my great-grandmother, and they would argue. I was trying to be arguing in Italian, which we didn't know what they were saying, and they'd be arguing back and forth. And they teased each other, and they read their uh, little Bibles in Latin and Italian, and, and they, would, they would discuss the Bible, and, they, and I'd say, Grandma, what are they talking about? And she said, some things that are sweet, some things that are bitter, you know? And she said, you don't need to know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but every day at 12, they'd hold hands and sit down after their little sandwich, and my great-grandfather would uh, hold her hand and they'd pray. And then my grandmother would shave him with a straight razor in that barber's chair. My great-grandmother would take that razor that looks like a barber would and she would glide that. And I've seen him give him a few looks before, <laughs> a few of these mean looks. He always kissed her and, and both sides of the face like Italians do and made up with her no matter how big the argument was before that shaving time came, okay? Because he knew once you got that razor, things better be right. And I'll still remember, I'll still remember the sound that razor made going over his rough whiskers. And it's a sound that is, ooh, just chills you to your spine when you hear it. You know, and she shaved him every day and he trusted her. But they always made up before that time came. And so I asked my grandmother, does grandma always, the great grandma always win the argument? She said, she don't have to. Because when it comes to saving time, he's going to make up regardless of what they're arguing over. He's going to get right with her. And see, that's the way it is, folks, in time with our Father in heaven. Every day we should be asking him for guidance and asking him, because he will never destroy us, pull us away as chaff and throw us in the fire. But he's a gardener, and he's the one with those tremors. And he will prune us back pretty close. He'll give us a close shave in order to make us be more fruitful. And he will do it, I guarantee he's done that to me. He's shaved me close a couple of times. But he will do that to make us more productive, more loving. And he will let us feel the, the chaps of life. He'll make us feel the blade sometimes of life. Those things which we may chaff us for a while or, or may we think may be scarred or the rough part of things to see others watching us go through them. We're to remember to be those godly men of integrity and to remember to keep with our Father closely that He is all we need. And He's the one who makes us be the bold men in our workplaces, makes us be the bold women in our home places, to be those exhorters, to be those who, when we see wickedness, see things that go against God, Maybe something as small as a gossip, or maybe it's a workplace, whatever it is. To be gossip slammers, to be those dirty joke slammers, you know. To be the men 
and women of integrity to uphold his name and say, you know, it bothers me when you say the Lord's name in vain. It just cuts me to the heart, you know, and explain why to them. You know, I've had to explain to people at work, you know, Andy's, uh, we both had to confront people at workplace that use the Lord's name in vain like it's a household, like you're saying, bring the soap, you know. They use the Lord's name in vain, and we get accustomed to hearing that. But, you know, and, and sometimes when you explain to them why I don't like to use the Lord's name in vain, it shocks them like I never heard that before. You know, they don't know that they're damning everything they say. You know, they don't know that they're actually putting a curse on everything that they use the Lord's name in vain, much less not showing reverence to God our Father. But those things that he's saying be trustworthy in and be have that integrity in your heart in starts with the smallest things. Things that we know we should do and we don't do is just as big a sin as, as saying a curse to God. Being obedient to his word, being obedient to what he's taught us. If I am not charged up, folks, when I come here on Sunday morning, it does me no good to even preach to you. I just soon close the word of God and go home. If I'm not prayed up in my heart, if I don't go to the prayer room in my office and pray about what I preach to you, even though I've prayed all week, on the Lord's day, he wants me to pray unto him. Lord, take this message, convey it through your minister to your people today, which we may learn and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's be godly men, godly women who are not afraid or ashamed of the gospel. And this I must pray daily, folks. I have a feeling in my heart that, that Job was a man like this. And the reason why this story was put in here, Job could be one of the first books written right after Genesis. And uh, because it goes back to those days of Abraham. And I think the, one of the reasons why he put this further on in the book is for us to read those things because it's in with the Psalms. It's encouraging words. It sounds like a, a very sad story at first. But what it's all about, folks, it's never about Job. It's never about us. It's always about Jesus and the power that he has and the power that God the Father has given him, folks. It all comes down to it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his strength. And these men are just like us. They're examples of faith, examples testify, testimonies of those who have gone through the fire. And that's exactly what our lives are to other people around us. It's who we place our trust in, who we've anchored deep in all of our lives. And it's either, it's, it's only, if it's in ourselves, it might as well be the devil because it has to be in the Lord Jesus. There come a time in my life, <coughs> excuse me, there come a time in my life where, see, I knew that as godly of a person as my dad was and as godly of a person that my mother was, they could not save me. See, there come a time in my life where God gave me a vision and God showed me falling to the pits of hell. And it was getting hotter and hotter all the way down, folks. And I was calling out God. I was calling out to Mom, save me. Dad, save me. I kept falling faster and it kept getting hotter. And only one name, folks, it's like God's Word says, only one mediator between God and man. Only one advocate between heaven and hell. Only one DNA, folks, of blood that can pardon us from hell itself, the fire, the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus is the only name we can call out to, folks. 
we might be saved, or we might have joy, or we might have comfort, or we might have peace that surpasses all understanding. I love that word. The peace I give you, not as the world gives you, this peace I leave with you. The Holy Spirit of God, folks. Most powerful spirit in the universe lives within us. We're the only ones that constrain him. We're the only ones that can restrict him in our lives. Don't grieve him, folks. Don't let Satan ever take a song out of your heart. You sing that song to God, you sing it with all you got, whether it's on key or not. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Don't let Satan rob you of your joy. Nothing in this world should rob you of that. Brother, I'll let that be robbed from me for 10 years. <clears throat> that Satan robbed my joy. I'll never let that happen again. Never, ever. Because I know the one who has brought me that joy, see. And nothing we go through in this life. Death of family, illness, sickness should never rob us of that song of heart. Keep singing that song, folks. Men of faith continue to be men of faith. Continue to draw upon the rock. We're being honed from. We're being honed and sharpened. And we're more powerful than the two-edged sword. God's word, the rock of Christ Jesus. And be in prayer for one another. Jesus said this will show the world, our testimony to the world, that we love one another. As he had taught us to love one another pray for one another. Let's pray. Father, we give you today, Lord, this day. We give you the testimony of our faith, Father, showing we place our trust in you. And yes, Father, we know there are families in our church, family going through great trials. They're going through illnesses, Father. Some are even traveling to see other people who are in the hospital, Father, who are not doing well. We have many illnesses in our church family. We have many people going through strife in their hearts and the going through strife in their illnesses, Father, spirituality. Father, we know that your word says that you are Jehovah Rapha. You're our Father in heaven, our healer who heals us from all things. So, Father, we pray this day we magnify you and that we men be men of real integrity, not be afraid to shun evil, to rebuke evil, and to think of the good and godly things in our lives and make us be the men worthy to walk according to our calling and be called father, be called friend, as you have called us friend to those around us and brothers and sisters in Christ and the women here who exhort us to be better men, Father. Bless them, God, and strengthen them this day. We'll give you praise and glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand and have a word of invitation. There may be someone here today and they haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the day of salvation for you. This is the day you can come to Him and feel His healing power and begin a relationship with the God of all heaven and earth. For He surely cares for you. And it's as simple as this. You can just come down here to the front. I will pray with you. Be glad to kneel down with you in prayer. You can surrender all to Jesus today, just as you are today. And I know there's wants and needs in our church family also, those of the household of faith, the Christians today. Probably every hand here can be representative of that.
as Christians are bowing their heads and if you're praying for those and who the Lord has touched your heart already to pray for. One for someone here today that says, Brother, there I'm just going through a rough time now. I, I may have a, or you may have a brother or sister going through a hard time. I just need someone to pray for me. And I just want to uplift my right hand. It's nodding now. You uplift your hand this time. Just raise your hand. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. God bless you, sister. God bless you, sister. There's several here today, even in our small group, or just need the power of Jesus. Need the love of Jesus to be strong men of faith, to encourage those, to bring up those in the ways of the Lord. Father, we pray for these today. We pray that your Holy Spirit may come to them and give them comfort and guide them. And Father, we pray for every household represented here today. On this Father's Day, Father of all fathers, be their comfort, be our joy today. Not let anything in the world, Father, rob us of that joy. And may we look to you for all of our healing, Father, mentally, physically, spiritually. All that we have, all we can be, Father, is wrapped up in your love and your grace and your mercy that was shown us there at Calvary 2,000 years ago. Your precious Son, our Lord Jesus, shed that special blood precious flow from his veins, Father, to wash our sins away. And so we are champions, Father, more than conquerors from that day. We accepted that in our hearts. More than conquerors to Jesus Christ. We can do all things through him because he strengthens us, Father. So thank you for the today, Father. Thank you for encouraging our hearts. Those who are lifting their hands, Father, being special admonition for them, Father, and feel your wings of love wrapped around them and their families today. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say-